When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to the Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm your host, Megan Gibson, and today I'll be talking with Summerlin Larson Lesperance about her experiences with her family life and managing deployment. She is a friend of mine and an awesome yoga instructor at Half Moon Power Yoga in San Antonio, Texas. Give them a shout out because it was my favorite yoga place in San Antonio. And she has so much to share about her experiences. And I love what she has to say about how she has um, managed just the changes in her family life and what has gotten her to be um, in a better place with her thought process. So thanks. And I hope you enjoy Summerlin. All right. Thanks for talking with me today, Summerlin. It's so good to learn from you. Um, So the topic that we were going to be talking about while you are a um, very, uh, I don't know, you, you, you have lots of things about you. Your identity is not just that you're married to someone who gets deployed, I guess. That's, let's put it that way. But that's yeah, sort of yeah. what our topic was today. Um, and I, I became interested in this just because I feel like living in San Antonio, I have met so many more people who um, have husbands or wives who are deployed. Typically, in my the people I've met, it's husbands who are deployed. And um, I'm just curious, like, to learn from you about what that journey has been like, sort of getting used to that, what it was like with kids, without kids, all of that stuff. But I guess maybe first question is like, you knew that this was going to be part of your life when you met your husband and, mm-hmm. you know, decided. So what was that like, that initial process of like picturing what life would be like at the, at the earlier end of your relationship? Yeah, that's a good question because um, I had you know, waited to meet my husband until I was 30 years old. That's when we met. And so I was pretty settled in like who I am as an individual and how I kind of interact with other people. And so for me, what that means in the choice that I made with him was that everything else was worth it to me to know that 
he would then occasionally deploy. Um, what I didn't realize at the time, and, and nor did he, it's, it's not like something we could have foreseen, is that the tempo of our deployment is actually every 13 months. And then he's gone for about five to six. So, um, which is unusual because he's not um, in like a infantry unit or special forces unit or anything like that. He's a physician. Um, so that was something that I didn't know was just how frequently it would happen. Um, but at the time when I was knowing that that deployment would be a part of our life, everything else that I got from our relationship and that he gave to me as a partner was more important to me than knowing that he would be gone for long periods of time. Right. So I just made that a calculated choice. Right. Well, and I think, I mean, in this instance, it's about deployment, but I think anytime we're meeting anyone that we're going to decide to have a life with that we're always making sort of decisions about what, what comes with the territory. And Mm -hmm. I'll say, I didn't realize, like, I love that my husband's ambition, I didn't realize that that would then mean maybe we'd have to move around for our jobs. Um, sure. And I'm, sometimes I'm like, can you just be a little less ambitious? That would be great. Uh, <laughs> a little less ambition would be awesome. Right. But I think, um, you know, it's true for all of us. You, you have these ideas of what might come. And then, you know, the reality is usually not exactly what we envisioned. Um, right. Yeah. And I think, you know, for us, we're both very independent people, and part of that comes with having met later. But um, when I met my husband, he was working 80-plus hours a week, and I was working 80 hours a week. And so we just um, had started our relationship and then formed a foundation for our relationship where we're very independent. And we take the time together um, very, like, intentionally, and it's – it's time that we savor and enjoy, but we also know that we have lots, even if it's in the daytime, like the day-to-day life, lots of time where we're not together. And it's, and it's just kind of doing our thing, whether it's um, at home doing our thing or it's at work doing our thing or whatever. So that might be different for me than it would be for someone else who expects or enjoys and I don't dislike spending time with my husband. Right. I'm just used to not getting to spend a lot of time with him. But um, but for somebody who that's really important to, that would be a different decision-making process for them. Right. That makes sense. So what, you know, I know that you have had kids in the past few mm-hmm. years. How did life change when kids came in the picture? What made that the experience different um, between, you know, being a married couple and then having these other humans to take care of. Mm-hmm. Well, it complicates matters because there's always my kind of response or my emotional orientation to a deployment, you know, which is like, I of course am concerned about safety and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but then I have to, manage children that are having emotional responses that aren't that complex. Um, it's, it's more like daddy's gone and I'm sad and that's not to minimize that impact or what that means. But for me, it's multi-layered, multi-level because I'm watching my own situation unfold and then I'm watching my kids situation unfold. And what happens with my children is I try really hard to kind of be the solid rock, if you will, and not um, have emotional outbursts or have situations where I'm 
like unnecessarily expressing myself. Um, and that's my choice. I'm sure there's other parents that deal with it differently, but that's, that's my choice is to kind of compartmentalize and be less emotional for myself. Um, so that they can see that this is a normal part of our life that, you know, that daddy is going to be gone and we just, that's part of our life. Like we don't have a choice about it. And so we can choose how we see that. And, so I've tried really hard to just make that normal. And if I'm like conducting myself in a gathered and kind of buttoned up fashion, then hopefully they see that, you know, it's okay. And realistically, like the work that my husband does is um, he's not in danger because they have a limited amount of <clears throat> physicians on hand at each, um, each base or each unit that's out. And so he has to, um, be protected essentially is what happens. And so he doesn't go off of base. He doesn't get to go out on his own. So his life is really boring and upsetting when he's deployed because he's basically in his, what's called a FST or the place that his office is in. And then also the um, clinic and the um, operating room, but he um, isn't in danger. And so like logically intellectually, I can, process that but from a heart level it's a little bit harder to process that mm -hmm. my kids don't even think about that I don't think yet they're not old enough to consider what could happen to daddy they just know that they're sad that he's not here and my husband's a very engaged father and so for them that's that's a big thing um for to not have playtime, to not have story time to not get put to bed or bath with him um, so it's a, it's a big change in their kind of daily. Um, and like I said, it's, it's a more simple approach, um, not to minimize it again, but it's, I'm sad cause daddy's gone. It's not, I'm worried about daddy or I'm mm -hmm. worried about what could happen. They just, they don't, thank God they don't have that cognition yet. Right. It's almost more like primal. It sounds like it's just like a totally. primal. It's not all in the head. It's just like, they know what they feel. And it's mm -hmm. just because it's not complicated doesn't make it easier, I guess, is what you're right. saying. Yeah, right. And so for me, having that layer on top of it has been um, difficult because it's often managing behavioral problems and um, outbursts or reactions to their feelings that they're not really sure how to handle. Mm -hmm. You know, our um, four-year-old, who's almost five, she's been through two deployments now, and this last one was better than the one before. Um, the first one was really, really unfortunate. Yes. <laughs> um, and then the baby, she's been through one, but he was gone from the time she was four months old to almost 10 months old. So she just really, there wasn't anything in the moment that she was dealing with. It was when he got back, just getting used to him being here. Like, right. you know, we were co-sleeping and so then there's another body in the bed and there's another person at the house and someone that even though we did FaceTime or that kind of thing, she just didn't really know him. And so it took a couple few weeks for them to kind of get to a point where she was okay with right. like him holding her or him feeding her or, you know, things like that. What I'm so, guessing, so then you're handling your feelings, your children's feelings and your husband's probably feelings like oh this is yes. sad for me that my child doesn't necessarily feel comfortable with me right now I and mean, that's a lot yeah. of holding that you're doing yeah yeah um but it's you know again it's it's part of the the experience that I knew I was getting into right right like I I'm 
at no point have I ever been deceived about how this right. is going to roll out. Yes. You know, like it's, it's very obvious that and this has been the trajectory or trajectory and the projection of where we've been going. Right. So, well, and I, I think consciously that, made that choice. Yes. And I, but I think what's interesting too is that while this circumstance is deployment, you know, people have different experiences of similar things where they're holding. And a lot of times it's the mom, I think, that yeah. holds other people's feelings. And that's why I sort of like this concept of the family brain is it's like, you know, it's not just what's going on in Summerlin's mind. It's the what's going on in your children's minds, your your husband's minds, in your environment, and how that all impacts your family functioning. You know what I mean? And yeah. when you're strong and you can keep yourself kind of stoic so that your kids can have that space, but what if you get sick or what if you're tired or, and it's harder to, to allow other people that space when oh, you're yeah. not feeling strong. And I think that's true for all of us. Right. I mean, it's like, yep. it's just, it's, um, it's not easy and it's, it's, yeah. uh, on, on my good days, I feel like I do it well. And then on my, my more tired days, even just like allergies right now, I'm feeling more yeah. run down and I'm like, like it's, just, it's harder to yeah. be well, stable. And that's a- I think a really good point. And for me, um, it, as opposed to getting emotional about it, just being very matter of fact. So with the four year old, like this last time around, she would act out and, you know, do something. And I would say, you know, are you missing daddy? And she'd say, yeah. And I'd say, yeah, well, you know, I miss daddy too. You know, mommy's sad that daddy's gone too, but mommy wants to make sure that we're, you know, eating food and going to school and going to work and all those things. So mommy just deals with it different (coughs) and, and we're all on the same team. You know, we're all in this together. And when, you know, you make choices to act out like this, then that doesn't really help us. Just like if mommy acted out, it wouldn't help us. And so just trying to like really bring it in as like a, like we're all in this together thing. Mm -hmm. And for her, that seems to be a good approach. Like she's, able to process that and understand that um and as much as we can like we've tried to accommodate like calls um or facetime like on demand it's sometimes it's hard because of the time change um my husband each time has deployed to afghanistan so we've we know the time difference and can mitigate that in some ways but i mean there's times when we can't and so as much as we can let it be spontaneous to reach out or to have that connection, then I find that that really helps too. Um, and people that aren't in a deployment setting may be able to do that even better because maybe they're not on such a stark time change or the schedule isn't so opposite. What was the, um, I remember when I was talking to you about moving and you told me there was some term that you use for um, that transition space where somebody's coming back or do you know what I'm talking about? Um, What's coming to mind is the whole trailing spouse. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. It's just the idea that um, that one life partner is moving and shifting um, in response to the other's professional needs or professional um, betterment. And so basically what it, what it's happening is somebody sacrificing their own um, career or their own opportunities or their own stability in a lot of cases to follow their partner. Yeah. And I thought that was a very apt 
description because that's sort of how it feels. And no matter how competent or strong you feel, it can feel a little, um, I don't know, in those moments, I have had this feeling of like, is this how it's supposed to be? And I think that's where I get myself in trouble. It doesn't matter what's supposed to be and not supposed to be. It's like, this is the choice we've made it as a family. It works for us. And, um, but it's still, there's that little twinge when, when the Mm. the trailing starts to begin where you're like, man, um, and it's good news if you're trailing somewhere pretty cool, which luckily I just had happen. But if you're trailing somewhere, (laughs) not that cool, that really stinks. I've been there. Yes. Um, I've, we have been very fortunate. I mean, of all the places that the army could send us in the world, we've really had wonderful assignments. Um, and the, the, there's been one that was not wonderful. And, um, and I kind of unfortunately had made up my mind that it wasn't wonderful and just kind of kept my attitude about that for two years. Mm -hmm. And, um, I made myself pretty miserable in those two years. And so I think that, um, in response to that, I have, automatically kind of jump to the other end of the spectrum where I'm like, this is going to be great. We're going to be awesome. And blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so each time that we've moved since that particular assignment, I've just been like, yep, this is going to be great. We're going to do this. And, um, even if the assignment hasn't been like the best thing ever, it's also not been horrible like that one was. Yeah. And I truly believe that's that's all on me. Like that was my choice to make it what it was. Was that early yeah. on in your relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I noticed is that like, it's like your muscles get stronger at this stuff, right? Like with my move again, which is different, but you know, you kind of realize it's going to take time, but it's going to get stable again and you'll feel Mm -hmm. okay, but it does take time. And sort of having that muscle memory of, Oh, I did this already Mm -hmm. and it it worked out and this will work out too. But it's hard when you've never had that experience. And it's just like, I don't know, does this work out? I mean, this this could be horrible. Um, Yeah. 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 Well, I have a woman that um, I did a training with in October and she's an, a very young new military spouse. And she was telling me about all this stuff that was happening when their movers were there and this and that. And I was just like, no, 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 and no. And this is what you need to do to. And I, and I was kind of thinking back to it and she's like, but I just didn't know that. And I, I told her, I said, you know what? I said, if I put myself back there to our first move, I wouldn't have known it either. And right. I said, so don't expect that you will, but know your resources and know that there are people to support you and surround you that can help with these kinds of things because that's the way you get through it. And I think that that's a beautiful thing about the military community by and large, depending on the unit or the assignment that somebody has, um, spouses are used to supporting other spouses and as much as they can, their families, you know, and, and that is a, a great thing. There's kind of the solidarity and like, yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a military spouse too. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because it's a, it's an interesting animal. It just is an interesting animal. And I forget the statistics of like how many millions of folks serve in the armed forces in the United States, but it's millions of people. Mm-hmm. And so it really isn't like when you look at it from a standpoint of, unusual or uncommon it's not but it's just really concentrated in areas that there are large bases or military installments right and so if you're in a part of the country where that isn't the case then it is um like uncommon or it is something you're not used to seeing right so no and my eyes were definitely opened being in san antonio and you know san antonio's military city 
Um, yep. And it's just every, even the other day I went to get the kids a haircut and the woman said, oh, did you just come from base? And I was like, why does she think that? And then I realized, I think it's because my hair was really like firmly parted and kind of wet and it looked like military. <laughs> I, that's the only thing I can get. Cause I'm like, why does she think we're coming from base? But I, maybe she looked like I looked like I was ready for business. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. I anyway. Um, but one of the questions I have, and I think that, um, as a person living in an area where there are a number of military people and knowing that these are your neighbors, these are your friends, what have you found to be um, things that are really helpful to you from people who maybe aren't military family, but like that show up for you or that are there for you in ways that help get you through those time periods? Yeah, I think um, what's really helpful for me is um, people that are intentional about noticing or maybe not noticing that asking, like if I'm like at my wits end Mm -hmm. and then either offering a spell of like having the kids come over or a spell of like, Hey, let's go have dinner or a play date or something just because it, it can be isolating. Like even if your intention is to be in community and to be like really embedded in something bigger than yourself, whether it's church or work or your neighborhood or the kids school, a co-op, you know, anything like that, even if that's your intention, it still can be really isolating um, because you're single parenting for a period of time and like you're trying to keep it all together. And then at the end of the day, you're like, wow, when did I do anything that was for me or that was like not focused on holding the ship together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so um, that's been really helpful for folks to notice that or to ask that. Um, And I think too, just like admitting, like, I don't know what's going on, but like, if I can be helpful, then let me know. Or um, is there some way I can be helpful or just acknowledging that like, yeah, it's, it's not fun and nobody's enjoying it, but it's part of life. And, um, it is what it is. And right. I think that's the other thing is just like no sympathy or not sympathy. That's not a good word, but, um, no, it is sympathy. Mm-hmm. It is. That is a good word. Empathy is more helpful than sympathy. Got it. Yeah. Um, folks that are empathetic of like, just, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but gosh, I'm, I'm thinking about you or I'm feeling for you mm-hmm. as opposed to like, God, that's so hard. I'm so sorry. And it's like, well, that's okay, but that's, like, really disempowering. Like, I made this choice. I've, like, consciously chosen this human being to yoke myself to. And so it's <laughs> not like I, you know, like, this is a mystery right. or that this is some sudden unforeseen situation. It's like, not like someone's know, sick or dying, you yeah, know? I mean, or, no, or, it's like, yeah. no, this is just a part of our life. Mm-hmm. And it looks different than some people's, and that's okay. And, yeah, it is hard, but it's also like, it's our choice and that there's empowerment in that of owning our choices and taking responsibility for them, even if it hurts or even if it's inconvenient or painful or any of those things. Right. No, that makes sense. What, so did you talk to your husband about doing this podcast? I'm curious. I haven't actually, (laughs) I haven't talked to him. Hopefully we're not compromising any military secrets. I'm just curious what his response would be or what his, um, you know, what, what from his point of view, you know, cause this is your, this is your story. Um, yeah. and it's just interesting how different sides of the story, if, um, well, you'll have to let me know later once he listens, yeah, what his I response is. Venture a guess too. So um, what's that? My, my husband regularly like tells people just how good I am at getting settled in somewhere. Like he never worries about me yeah. making friends or 
getting work or whatever. Part of that's the nature of what I do. It's pretty portable. But um, he just regularly tells people, like, oh, yeah, no, someone's, you know, she's got a good community. She's settled in, you know, this and that. Thanks for being concerned or thanks for reaching out or because that's what happens. Like Mm -hmm. other um, families will you know, want to get in touch with us when he's gone just to see how we're doing and if everything's okay. And I really appreciate that. But he also assures them that that's the case that like, yeah, we're, we're good. We're networked. We're dialed in. We're, we're, you know, in community and we've got support. And so, um, so that would be part of his response, I think. And then the others just, I think he would talk about that independence piece too, which is that, you know, he doesn't really worry about taking off because mm-hmm. we're used to spending time away. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's funny because, I mean, I think my husband and I are similar in that way and it shows up differently, but, mm-hmm. you know, just in our experience. But it's, I mean, sometimes when it's too much together, it's like, okay, what's going on here? Like, okay, you know, a little break. which actually makes me wonder. So what, what is that shift like? for you guys when he does get back? I mean, I'm sure it, or is it just depend on the time of year or what's going on in, in life in general? Does it take yeah, any shape? Every time it's been really different. Well, one of the things that hasn't changed or shifted is that we always try to plan some sort of very intentional like trip or vacation kind of thing where we're, you know, really getting that quality time in a big chunk. Mm-hmm. Um, so this last time we took our girls um, to South Padre Island and had a long weekend there. Um, the time before that, um, we actually were moving to Texas. And so, um, we built in some time to just have like kind of linger on the way, if you will, instead of, um, just jumping right into Mm -hmm. the, like, okay, let's drive from Nashville to San Antonio. Right. Um, we had a little bit of time on the side there to, um, just kind of be in our house and do some things. He gets a month off um, when he gets back and he usually doesn't take the whole thing. He usually takes about three weeks, but um, we really try to do that. Um, And then many years ago, like when he and I are first married, we took several trips when he got back from a deployment. That was before we had kids. So Mm -hmm. we were able to do that, but we planned a bunch of diving trips and, you know, things like that. So um, we do that. And then the other thing that shifts is that, you know, I take over the stuff that's like his jobs, like his things that he does at the house and whatever when when he goes. And so, um, like taking out the trash and poop patrol in the yard, we have three dogs. And so that's like a weekly job and not biweekly. Um, and so I take over his jobs and, and I pay the bills and, you know, all that. And then he gets back and then tries to do all of his jobs again. And so there's kind of a a bit of a, like, bumping around, like, oh, you did this, well, I was going to do it, and, you know, just that kind of readjustment, um, and then he really tries to, like, kind of do the extra stuff, like, let me put the girls to bed every night, let Mm -hmm. me, you know, because I've done it for several months on end and not had any breaks. Right, well, that's good that he's so aware of what is useful, it sounds like, it sounds like he's trying to pay attention to you know, what helps and what doesn't help. Yeah. Um, so in the community that you have found, have you found that, um, like people's experiences are all just different based on their relationships and based on, I mean, are are there like sort of themes that you hear? Is this like, I mean, I would guess that bumping around with like tasks is a pretty common experience. 
Yeah, it is depending mm-hmm. on what the other spouse does. So what's interesting about um, the folks that I've encountered over the years is that there's a handful of us that are either part-time, part-time, kind of like part-time employment and part-time parenting all the time, if that makes sense. Yes. Not mm-hmm. really part-time parenting because it's kind of all the time. Right. <laughs> but I mean, in, like in the home setting, like part-time in the home. Um, and so there's a handful of us that do that. And then there's a handful that are just stay at home parents. They don't work outside the home. And then there's a handful that are just professional workers. And, and I do mean professional, like physicians, lawyers, um, IT people, you know, things like that. And it really depends on what the spouse is doing as to what that readjustment looks like. Because I know like the folks with the really professional orientation to work um, have a little bit less of that. And I think it's because they um, employ people like housekeepers. and mm, like, That makes sense. You know, like they, yeah. they have people that manage some of the daily tasks differently than we do. Right. And, and even more differently than a stay-at-home parent would. Like, right. Um, that's the other thing I've noticed. The stay-at-home parents that are, like, full-time stay-at-home parents um, just are, like, really shouldering a tremendous burden when their partner leaves. And and that's because they're doing all the things that they usually do and then all the things that their spouse usually does, and they don't ever leave their house. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that from a task load perspective, that's, like, tremendous. Right. But... For me, that sounds horrible. Like, yeah. <laughs> emotionally, that sounds like horrible, horrible, horrible times. But <laughs> on the flip side, like if that's your thing, like if that's your call or your vocation to be a parent that way, then, you know, maybe it isn't so terrible. Right. And I'm guessing those would be the people, if I were in that circumstance, I would think that those would be families or women who would probably create um, more community with other people who are in similar situations. To me, that sounds like that would be a life yeah. raft in that environment. I mean, I know when I was the full on stay at home mom and my husband was at work. Um, I mean, that, that's what saved me was that kind of community. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, people that are very similar to you. Yes. And going through the same yeah. things. We had the same complaints basically. Isn't that what friendship is? Mm-hmm. You just all have <laughs> Um, I know. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's true. And the other thing that I've noticed just in my journey of like kind of wandering around is that different jobs in the military kind of offer a different orientation to these leaves. And so um, it's kind of more like birds of a feather flock together. And so I don't um, spend a lot of time with military spouses that partners are not in the medical field. Okay. No, that um, makes specifically sense. like physicians. Um, and it's not for like a desire not to, but you know, we don't live on base. Um, we don't attend a lot of like base functions. We socialize in the circles of like people that my husband works with directly. And so that's a lot of like physicians, assistants, a lot of nurses, a lot of other physicians. And so, um, I think if I were to have a wider network of military spouse um, relationships, that it would probably vary more than I've even stated. Right. No, that makes sense. Because, you know, it's a a wider cross-section of the the population. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, So I'm curious if there's anything that you were hoping that you would be able to talk about that I haven't asked you about. 
Um, the one thing that, that I would just touch back on and then share about my own experience is that um, it is what you make it. And I, you know, I made up my mind in Georgia to, to hate Georgia, and I did hate Georgia. And then we moved to Tennessee, and I made up my mind to love Tennessee, and I did love Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so what I've learned in my journey has been that um, what I put into it, I get out of it. And yes, absolutely, it takes time. Yes, absolutely, there is a settling period or kind of a fitting in period or whatever you want to call it. But regardless of that, um, it is what you make it. And I've been so lucky to, to have had that experience of that paradigm shift and to have it both ways, to be miserable and then to also be like deliriously happy, um, to know like what the lesson was in that. <laughs> what do you think helped and, make you that helped, helped you make that mental shift? Like if someone's in that negative space and they're like, I get what you're yeah. saying and I want to be in that positive space. How, do, how, how did you make that shift happen? I think for me, part of it is I'm, I'm an extroverted person, and so I get energy from being around others. Um, I also, in, in that time space, had a, a child, and I didn't want her to be in a place where her parent was miserable and not, like, living to the fullest. And so I think um, for someone who's in that space of just thinking about, like, well, what do you, what do you want your life to look like? And is is that what it's looking like right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you can make choices to shift that. And whether that's going out and volunteering, which to be really honest is something I did in Georgia when I, I was miserable and I hated it. I was like, I have to do something outside of myself. This is crazy. Like I, I was doing some, um, my professional career was not available to me in Georgia. I was doing some consulting and then my contract ran out. And so I wasn't doing that anymore, so I didn't have a job. I didn't have much friends um, aside from, like, maybe three people. Um, I socialized at my yoga studio and my church, and that was about it. Like, I didn't have a network, and I didn't have – there wasn't even anything fun to do. Like, it wasn't a very vibrant place. I'm sure – this is the public service announcement. I'm sure there are many fun places in Georgia. We don't need any, like, you know – Yes, yes, and there are. That's yes, right. there are. Right, right. Um, but, you know, my experience was just like, I just didn't have anything to do. And I was like, this is dangerous. Like, I'm I'm not living the life I want to live. And so the best way I knew how to get out of myself was to give back to others. And so that was the first thing I did was I went and volunteered. Mm. And it was kind of a little bit like too little too late for me when, when that was all going down because at that point in time we'd already – um, learned that we were going to be moving. And so at that point I was like, okay, well that's great, but I've kind of wasted my time just being miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, so from my experience of getting out of myself and giving back elsewhere is where I was like, this is where I'm starting from when we get to Tennessee. I'm Perfect. starting from a place of getting out of myself and whether that's working or socializing with my daughter at the library or volunteering, which I also did in Tennessee, you know, those were things that I just made a conscious effort to seek out. And, um, you know, there's a lot of thought processes and philosophies about, you know, how you, um, what, what practice, like what you do informs your feelings, what you do informs your outlook. And so I just went and did things until my outlook was, yeah, this is pretty darn awesome. Mm. 
So almost don't don't necessarily wait for your outlook to change. Start making the changes, and then yeah, your outlook will shift with you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it won't. I like that. Your outlook outlook will not shift. Right. We're human. Right. And so, you know, the whole thing, misery loves company. Yeah, well, your own misery really loves your own company. <laughs> yeah. And so it's yeah. really easy to get selfish. Yes. And to just be, like, insular and kind of withdrawn instead of, like, go out there and make a bunch of energy and effort to get to know people. Right. And, and it can be, admittedly, it can be painful because mm-hmm. you get to know people and they're awesome and you have these beautiful relationships and then you say, I have to go now and you don't want to go now. Mm-hmm. But, but then what's better sitting alone all the time and being like, yeah, I'm not going to invest in any relationships because it hurts every bad, every time when I try to leave and it's so bad. <laughs> like, right. So, I mean, we can choose how we want to associate ourselves to that, but um, for me, the right choice was to go ahead and do and then become, and and that was the right choice for me. I love that. Um, I think that's great advice in general, you know, just I, in well, shifting I, I perspective. Too. Yeah. I kind of do, too, and then what really opened up for me in doing that was that when we moved um, to Texas, I literally like within two weeks was like getting dialed into all the things that I wanted to be dialed into. And it's, it's like this thing with the universe that when we open our mouth and say what we want, mm-hmm. it comes to us. Yeah. But we have you to know? pay attention to what, what do we want? You know what I mean? And yeah, it's cause it's exactly. no one has that. The things you want are going to be different than the things that, you know, someone down the road might want. Uh, right. No, I think you're and right. I love the Remy quote, you know, what you seek is seeking you. Mm. And it's so true. Like if you're dialed into like truly dialed in present to what's going on with you, then it's not hard to figure that out. It's, it's very obvious. And when the opportunities come or the situations unfold that you need to be a part of, it's, it's like, yep, there it is. Yep. There it is. It's right here for me. Yes. I love that. Well, I think you have shared such good advice. The last thing that I always ask people on the podcast is what do you do to help keep yourself healthy and grounded? Like, you know, you're managing all these feelings in your family, but what do you do for yourself that kind of keeps you feeling grounded and healthy? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a yogi. So that's, that is the A1 thing that I do. And whether it's a vigorous practice, you know, I'm a power yogi. And so to get really like into my breath and heat my body and move in a strong and sometimes quick manner is really fulfilling for me. Um, but sometimes it's also really good for me to have a more quiet, like contemplative and restorative practice where I'm just quote unquote stretching and, you know, just kind of being in the moment of like, how is this feeling and what is this like? And so that is the A1 way that I stay kind of dialed into what's going on with me and also like filling my soul and like keeping myself healthy um, from a mental health perspective. Um, The other thing is, is our church has always been great. We have been so, so fortunate at every stop of the way of having great church communities. And so, um, regardless of someone's orientation to faith, like that's a way to have community. And so maybe it's not a church, but it's a volunteer organization, whatever. And so that for me has been really life giving is being a part of a community where there's a cause or a, um, a thought process or a framework that's bigger than 
myself and bigger than anyone else, kind of a more um, celestial or universal orientation to the world instead of just me, 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 me. Yes. No, I love that. You're so awesome. Um, I I love, thank you for all that you shared. And, um, I am excited to share this because I think, you know, it sheds light on deployments and family life within that system. But it also, I feel like a lot of these, um, things that you're talking about are just, you know, human experience, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that translates to all of us. So yeah, on some way, shape, or form, you know, we're all deploying somehow. Yes. <laughs> or we're all living through Oh, I just, got, or <laughs> I just got a chill from that. That was good. Thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I love talking with Summerlin about her experiences with her family life and managing deployment and just family life in general. I love that it just seems like there's so many things that are unique to our experiences, but also common where we can all kind of relate to certain things that might go on with someone else. And I love hearing from people directly about what helps them feel better and feel more connected and what sort of is not super helpful. So I loved her being open and sharing her experiences. And I want to thank Game Day Media for helping produce the podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you're interested, you can join our Facebook group, the family brain podcast on Facebook. And then you can also follow us on Instagram family brain podcast. Thanks so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.